Why? Why is excellent timing? This our new intro theme. Hi, Dad. Uh, I'm just about to start recording a podcast. Can I get your ring back in about an hour? Alright, ta Adios. <laughs> that's a dad's prerogative, man. That's that's how we're starting this episode now. Bigger than cakes. Give me some outsiders. Hello, welcome to Bigger Than Capes. I'm Zach, and this week I'm joined by Will. How you doing, Hello. Will? Hello. Very good, thanks, buddy. How you doing? Hey, you know what? I can't complain, really. I mean, I yeah. probably can, but who do I <laughs> It's always something to complain about. Oh, yeah. I um, I think I did my fake voice for the starting again, though, which is... Howdy, guys. Welcome to Bigger Than Capes. I, I think that's the thing. I, I start every episode with this kind of radio voice, and then... Yeah literally right after just drop back to plain old mank just like carrie fisher and leia <laughs> leia starts a very prim and proper english woman it just doesn't last yeah yeah i'm mean, wrong you know it's, it's not a bad person to take cues from i suppose absolutely um so how you been you've been comicking and whatnot you know doing- of course yeah and i'm keeping up with the, some of the regular series as well as some of the book club series uh it's good. I just, again, I just got such a backlog. I'm just digging and digging and I'm reading stuff and constantly adding new stuff because I'm a fool. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the way we live. For it is, isn't it? Whatever reasons. I, I think I've been, I've been in a place where I keep looking at my bookshelf and all the books I kind of bought recently in sales. And then yesterday I picked up a load more stuff in a sale and... I've just bought more books today online and then I've started buying more digital stuff because I'm an idiot and I just, I, I look at the shelf. I know I've got like a hundred unread books on Comixology <laughs> and I know I've got like a thousand unread books on a shelf and I'm still like, but it's not the book I don't want to read right now. I <laughs> Yeah. That's the thing. It's like by the time the books I've ordered arrived, normally I'm like, Oh yeah, I really wanted to read that yesterday, but today I used to do it all the time pre pre uh, Netflix and otherwise streaming TV. I used to do it all the time with DVDs. It's like yeah. hit up HMV, hit the bargain bin, buy a load of fucking B movies that I thought looked fun, take them home, and then by the time I'd taken like the train journey home, I thought ah, I don't care about these. They're <laughs> just gonna stay in their cellophane forever. It's weird because I imagine you're very similar to me of. I used to go to Manchester like every week and back in the day when like FOP and HMV and mm-hmm. Music Zone did CDs for like a fiver would like chain buy CDs and DVDs and go home and be super into like the flaming lips for four hours and yeah. then not listen to them again for six months. Ever again. I found like I made a conscious decision to uh, stop like pirating stuff Mm. fairly early on when like LimeWire was still a thing and, yeah uh, and Kazar and it was because I'm a big fan of Elvis Costello but I downloaded his entire discography and then just didn't know where to start you're like I've got like I don't know 
12 albums or something here at, at some point you think it's just too much it's too much and your brain just tells you that it's unachievable so yeah i i think i i had a similar thing with bob dylan when i was in college like i studied music but recording and performance and production stuff in college and every every tutor we had was like yeah bob dylan's like the man and i was like okay yeah bob Bob dylan does have some good stuff and i like remember looking up a list of every album bob dylan had and there's like so 10 years ago went now there were like 30 40 bob dylan albums he just released everything he ever anything he ever thought about and sometimes it'd get released late but it still came out and i'm like yeah man i'm gonna go buy some bob dylan albums and i distinctly remember being like which ones they're all they're all meant to be incredible in their own special way yeah i've never been much of a much of a dylan fan myself but it's that for comic books um and i guess when you do when you're a fan of something that's relatively niche like comics particularly some of the comics that we read are not, you know, are not uh, high high run numbers. Um, I don't know why you'd ever want to steal it. Like, the fact is I want people to keep making these things and the only way they're going to keep yeah. making them is if they can feed themselves while doing it. So I'm all for finding a sale or getting a good price, but I don't, I don't understand. If you like it, why pirate it? Yeah, and I, th- I think that's one of the things I... I'm a sucker for buying everything. And I think particularly with the amount of indie books we're into, there's a certain kind of, yeah, man, but what if it falls out of print before I bought all the volumes? And so many things that don't get past a volume one, like yeah, just don't get, don't get the sales. And uh, I think I was listening to another podcast. Others are available, but I wouldn't recommend them um, <laughs> about like, uh, in fact, it was about bad idea. Oh yeah. And they were asked, like, have you got? What do you think about pirating comics? Because if you're going to sell your comics in only selected stores and only physical, somebody's going to put it online, right? Somebody's going to scan a book and yeah. And uh, they kind of pointed out that there's actually like hundreds of thousands of uh, illegal downloads, so that. Like comic books are read by tons more people than I think the statistics suggest. Mm. It's just a huge proportion of those people aren't turning up on stats because they're not they're not buying them from anywhere. Yeah, and how do you factor in the illegal download <laughs> market? How do you deal with that? And I think it's a real shame because I think if people if, if the, all of those people decided to buy the books they read, I think comics would be a big a big industry. Yeah, I don't mean it, it is. A semi-big industry. <laughs> yeah, and I mean you know, the fact that uh, even you know Hellboy gets a film, and you were now seeing stuff like Old Guard and mm. uh, well, Jeff Lemire. Yeah, getting out all the Jeff Lemire apparently in the next year or so producing stuff, which I think is great. Like that, these things are getting a wider a wider audience. I know so many people who read, who like watch or read sci-fi, fantasy, crime stuff, and I just think that there are so many comics you'd really like. Yeah, but I just don't think they can get over the fact that it's a comic like that. I think it's definitely true. I've had that with, I think, from friends to family members to just about everyone. Where it's like, well, if you're into this, you you probably really like comics, but. 
you don't want comics for reasons I can't fully comprehend, even though here we are. I don't know. <laughs> there it is. We like it, and it's good stuff. So That's right. Um, but so it's all mass- hours, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but talking of Master Lemire. Yeah. Good segue. Thank you. Um, his recent newsletter has information, much of it, really. It's, it's a pretty... Every one time he puts out a newsletter, I'm kind of surprised by how much he has to say. Yeah, um, he seems to save them up until he's got a good a good fist of information and then punches you right in the old chops with it. Yeah, so he's basically, and I don't know if this is the angle you were going to take to begin with, but let's find out. He's basically said that everything is kind of finishing right about now or has already finished. Yeah, I think he said uh, Sweet Teeth has basically wrapped up filming, hasn't it? I think. Yeah, and Sweet Tooth, The Return, the comic as well, has also, the last issue comes out, I think came out this week, maybe? Okay, I missed that in his, uh, in his rundown, but that is fine. <laughs> uh, Essex County, I think the bulk of the scripts are written, so he says that might be a way off yet. Yeah. Oh boy, that's a story laden with sweet misery. Mm-mm-mm, delicious sweet misery. Perfection. <laughs> um, but some of the bits I'm really looking forward to is working again with Gabriel Walter, Dustin Newen, and Andrea Sorrentino from uh, several of his excellent series to date. Yeah, there's some real cool things there. I think Sentient was a really good graphic novel, and I've obviously loved Descender and Ascender, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing both of those continued like creative relationships and seeing what the future might hold. But I think the bit I'm most excited about is uh, the slight changes to some of his Black Hammer universe. Yes, so definitely. I think we're getting the last of the kind of extended universe books in Madam Dragonfly. Yeah. And then everything should uh, come down to Black Hammer Reborn and sort of con- uh, consolidate down to a single, single story. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think... I've, I've liked the extended universe vibe, but I think the kind of separation from the core characters at times and the like the farm, obviously, since that's wrapped up and we've seen like individual stories from those characters, it, it has felt like it's missing a bit of a focal point at times, I think. Yeah, I think we spent a, a, a quite a long time learning who everybody is through often really entertaining like side stories but i think you're right it's felt like that's all they ever were yeah and don't get me wrong i think like quantum age i think is one of my favorite bits of black hammer but then i miss abe (laughs) yeah yeah uh i really like the uh dr sherlock frankenstein spin-off yes. i think is, is pretty excellent um i don't know i like i just like his universe and i uh they they feel well i mean they are aren't they uh golden age kind yeah of, like kind of golden age silver age sort of spins um but I'm, I'm always fine with that like i've got no problem uh it's what he does with them i think and the, the journeys he takes them on uh that i yeah love black hammer yeah i think black hammer has been 
some of my favorite Lemire, um, particularly in superhero Lemire. Um, I distinctly remember reading the first trade and then being like, right, well, I can't wait the 12 months it's going to take Dark Horse to give me the second trade of this book. <laughs> so I'm going to have to read it in singles, which obviously made it worse because... Yeah, it doesn't feel... As I think back on it now, I don't think of it in like chapter chunks. It doesn't feel like a book written for the single issue necessarily. It, yeah, I think it works a lot better. And I'm kind of looking forward to... I haven't bought them yet because of the uh, aforementioned pile of comics mm-hmm. but there's they're doing like these hardcover library editions of um so the farm age of doom and then like the world of black hammer um collecting all the sub sub series now spin-off series together and i think that's probably going to be the best way to read it in like one massive chunk of black hammer goodness hells yeah but so, yeah, very much looking forward to more of that and that Sweet Tooth TV series. Yeah, I think Sweet Tooth is an interesting one for adaptation, I think. it's. I've always said that it's kind of... It's almost a zombie story without the zombies. Yeah, it's the, the post-apocalyptic world that sort of says the menace isn't the the disease or the zombies it's the people who are left yeah so it's not an entirely like original concept i think even in comics that is pretty much what the walking dead is uh and we've seen it in other in other stuff other kind of post-apocalyptic uh gangs coming up mad max etc yeah yeah but i think it's just positing the main character as this sort of mutant young boy who has lived completely off the grid up until his life Mm. and seeing him see this world for the first time as the reader i think is is what elevates it like it following young sweet tooth um as he kind of uh, uh navigates his way through this disaster world is just it's just so good (laughs) it is it's it's such a good series, and I think it's going to make a real good show. Um, in kind of contrast to that, though, I think Essex County, I, I really don't know how you make a show out of just Canadian sadness. But <laughs> uh, Yeah, it's odd as well that it's it's broken down into three relatively distinct stories that do broadly connect to each other through the odd kind of character or taking place in the same how you do that as a tv series whether you layer those on top of each other so you're telling all three concurrently or each series is one story i don't know it's a it's a weird um it's a weird book in in which not a lot happens in in terms of kind of uh beats of plot yeah and it's Whilst it is an incredibly good read, I, I kind of don't know how that becomes a TV show. Mm-hmm. That... <laughs> and a little, a little bit like some of his other work, like um, Underwater Welder. Yes, as or... well. It's it's just all about like mood and style, and because he's drawn them himself, it's yeah, hundred percent Lemire. Just sort of saying 
a bit about who he is, I think, and where he's come from, how mm. that translates onto a TV screen, I don't yet know, but... I I kind of feel like there are... So between like that world of stories, like, like Underwater Welder and Essex County, Royal City, um, Roughneck, Frog Catchers, I feel like they're all very similar in style and subject matter and tone. And I can kind of see like shuffling them all together and making like, I guess, almost an anthology show. And hey, maybe that's what we're going to get. Maybe we're going to get like a bunch of little stories that are just sort of under the umbrella of Essex County. And then, yeah, and maybe that's the thing. Maybe I'm thinking that there's going to be some wider, broad spread connection. But in reality, it can just be half an hour or an hour focusing on. S- sad kids in yeah. <laughs> Canada. Um, and I, I do mean that in the best possible way. I I think I love almost every Jeff Lemire book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I can't. I've not read a lot of his kind of Marvel and DC stuff, but the bits I have have always been good. Um, mm. But in terms of his creator-owned work, it's just a name I always look out for. Like every time he's doing something new, it's it's definitely worth checking out. Yes, definitely. Um, I I have another thing from someone else's newsletter. So um, Rom V's recent newsletter largely talks about kind of obviously DC future state, which is happening Mm -hmm. right now, which, yeah, we're we're not the most DC focused and it's already going to have happened by the time this podcast airs. So the other thing that intrigues me more, um, he's been announced that himself and Ananda K, who he did Graffiti's Wall and Blue and Green with, are going to be doing a vault title this year. Lovely stuff. And I'm kind of, there's been no details kind of given to it, but when I interviewed him last year for, you know, that other podcast we used to do that time, um, he talked about two books that were coming up in the future. And one of them was... Mecha Kaiju Romance. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm listening. And the other was about a post-apocalyptic radio station. Okay, both sound rad. Yeah, and I, I can't remember. He definitely said one of them was with the artist from Graffiti's Wall and Blue and Green. I'm sure he did. So I'm hoping it's one of those because they both yeah. sound awesome. In- yeah weird different ways very um, cool concepts so i'm all for apocalypse radio and um mecha cashew rom-com heck yeah i mean uh, uh, let me ask you with the with having listened uh having talked about some of the white noise stuff yes uh, earlier uh i think these there's kind of a modern crop of writers who at least appear to do one run stories yes kind of one trade four to six issue stories and then move on to something else how do you feel about that compared to like would you want rom v to sit down and do like a 60 issue or (laughs) not necessarily rom v but you know like i feel we get a lot particularly out of some of the new tko vault yes uh, tend to be one trade stories and, and that's your lot do you like that or, or would you would you 
Um, I, I think it's it's something that I, I do actually think about quite a lot at the moment, I, for, for whatever reasons. Um, and I've been thinking about it in terms of non-comic book writers I like. So, okay, he's, he's my go-to example, and I, I need to have other examples on hand, but Stephen King. Sure. Dean Koontz. Why the hell not? Dean Koontz. Um, Stephen King 2.0. So, I, I've been into Stephen King since I was like, like most Stephen King readers, since I was too young to read Stephen King. Sure, yeah. yeah. So, since the age of, like, I don't know, 13, probably, I, I've been reading Stephen King books. And most of the time, he just writes a novel and that's the end of it. And we're not going to talk about those characters unless they made a cameo somewhere else. And then obviously there's Dark Tower, which is eight books of interconnected mental fantasy with nods to all of his other work along the way. And I guess I've kind of thought that it's weird, isn't it, that we expect from comic writers for them to do just the Dark Towers and we expect the shining and the salem's law and pet cemetery to be every now and again you get to do a six issue run but really we need four years of your life to, to be yeah and i think a lot of the times like the ideas that these writers are trying to put across would just be diluted if you make it longer like yeah all you'd end up doing is just filling in little action beats just to stretch it out for another 20 pages or so so in answer to the question you actually asked, um, I I think I'm kind of into the self-contained graphic novel mm-hmm. si- single volume thing. I I like it when people have got big plans and big interconnected like long-term storytelling. But in recent years, and to refer to something we've talked about before, I think. Like Brian K. Vaughan, I I really like Paper Girls, but I also like that it's six volumes. I like that Descender is six volumes. Yeah. Well, it'll be eight volumes when you include Ascender, which is like, you know, the sequel, epilogue, sure. whatever. But I think while even in long runs, I'm kind of happy for them to be quite contained. I mm-hmm. It scares me when Brian K. Vaughan says that Saga's nine volumes in and he's not even halfway. It's like... Brian, yeah. that, that makes me feel like Saga's going to outlive me. <laughs> I think the truth of it is the story should be as long as it sort of needs to be, and that's completely unquantifiable. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, sometimes it does need to be, you know, like 60 issues. Sometimes six is enough. Yeah, and I mean, ha- what about you? Are you you a single trade kind of man or are you a I do quite like because I'm I'm a creature of variety so I like to bounce from one thing to another pretty quickly so I like that idea that you get the story you read it you enjoy it but then that goes to one side and you've got another one to read I get bored of stuff quite easily so if I were to do a a full read through of something even something I love like Chew yeah within about three volumes I'd be thinking "Ah, I want to read something else for a bit yeah, I think that's true. And I think the the shorter runs or the one volume or anything like that kind of promotes the rereading of that book. I think Absolutely, yeah. I mean, talking about Ron V, the Savage Shores. Yes. Not only is it 
a, a self-contained story i think it benefits my reread as well like I, I got so much more out of it the second time despite loving it the first time um, yeah I, th- I think there's things particularly in something like these savage shores that it's so layered and there's so much you miss that first time well, um, if that was volume one of 20 and i was at 18 i wouldn't go back and read one no even not, if it was not the easily. same book <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I, I know there is stuff that we are into that's quite it, like all right teenage mutant ninja turtles hells yeah is what are we on now like we got past the hundred mark haven't we? and i can't even think what that is in trades are we like 20 trades in now or something insane uh <laughs> we might need to cut that i don't know i've just i lost you there for about oh. two seconds that's okay uh so yeah, there's like a hundred issues of Turtles, and that's what like twenty volumes or something because they're like four issue volumes. There or thereabouts, plus all of the side volumes, the crossovers, the single character <laughs> like mini volumes. Let don't get me wrong. Like I think uh, that run is equally as guilty as like Marvel or DC for their <laughs> obnoxious <laughs> number of spin-offs, but it is one of the most consistently entertaining like comics i read yeah and i i mean idw are quite guilty of it so turtles transformers um my little pony ghostbusters gi joe you name it they've gone like deep and there's only one starting point for most of these things and it's the first bit and okay i know turtles have recently done tmnt reborn and they're kind of back to volume one and transformers have done that as well but yeah i feel like even with the indie series that are like a hundred issues deep yeah i i don't know if i would go back and read the first i mean mean, currently right now i am reading turtles from the beginning so clearly i am that guy who will go back to the beginning (laughs) and read i will do it sometimes i did it with valiant it's like every time i'd buy a new trade i'd normally go a trade or two back and sort of read it as a as a continuous thing but there's a there's a limit there's always a limit yeah and i I think with valiant it kind of often rewards you by the fact that it's only four issues per trade normally and i did it with exo manowar the matt kint run where there were three issue trades and every time i would kind of read and read a little bit more and read all of and until there was a point where it's like, man, I, I've I've read Exo Manowar a lot, a lot of times, yeah. And there is you can you can overdo it as well. Just like I don't want ever want to see this again. <laughs> but I I do think it does, yeah. Particularly with something like Valiant, it kind of pays for itself by like, yeah, you reread it and it makes Matt Kint's later storytelling in Exo or Ninjak make more sense. And you think, oh my god, yeah, this all was building to this all along. Matt Kint's a genius. Yeah. But I also think it is a little bit obnoxious to your fandom to go to enjoy this at its fullest. Go and spend a hundred quid on these like <laughs> other volumes to to get back up to speed. Uh, and uh, the Ninja Turtles are again equally as culpable of that. But I yeah. also think they do a really good job of each trade, each story, like arc, feeling like a, pre- a fairly independent arc. Yeah, I feel like whilst numerically there's only one jumping on point for turtles you can read random miniseries and some of them have got value away from the main story and you can 
there are jumping on points that aren't the start. Kind yeah. of. Yeah. Um, but I, I also think the, the single volume, the graphic novel, the six issue run is, is a great way to get people into comics. Mm-hmm. I think if you've got a friend who wants to get into comics and you tell them, well, there's 70 issues of Sandman. Yeah, that's, that's a hard sell, isn't it? I, 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 I think people feel intimidated sometimes when they, they look at comics. I know when I was younger and looking at and studying Forbidden Planet, staring blindly at Marvel and DC, it was like, I don't know what the start of Batman is. Yeah, and that... that- of the two companies which have the most recognisable like intellectual property in comic books, if you just want to go and read some Batman, it's real hard to know what to buy. Yeah, you shouldn't have to do like extensive research to choose which Batman book is right for you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess I kind of see it that your, your monthly or your long-term storytelling is kind of my version of a soap opera. I like to just kind of check back in on these characters and see what adventures they're up to. And then I can step away from something like turtles and then come back to it in three months time. But the single trade things are like uh, films essentially. Yeah. That's, that's a good way of seeing it. And I often think the very best stuff that I read tends to be in that relatively limited format i.e. that all the best ideas and writing have come down and have been edited to this like six issue story there's no fat on it and it's perfect yet you just need some of that like idiot food sometimes don't you just (laughs) something which is real easy to digest the heroes win the bad guys lose everybody's happy and you don't have to look outside your window and realize that we live in a disaster. <laughs> uh, I think that's a valid point. And um, yeah, <laughs> it, it is nice every now and again to have the easy superhero world. Um, even, even though they're often much darker and bleaker than our own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, on that bombshell, sh- should we talk about the book that we're here to discuss? Let's talk about the specific book we're here to talk about. But before we do, let's talk about our sponsor. A word from our sponsor. Our sponsor, as you may or may not know, is uh, Travelling Man. They're based in Manchester, Leeds, Newcastle, and York. And um, that's where I bought Heathen. I don't know about you. <laughs> uh, not on this occasion. Yes, yes, that's where I got it too. <laughs> um, so they sell comics, graphic novels, manga, board games, RPGs, CCGs. Everything you'd need for Geek Haven. <laughs> Roll some dice, flick some cards, read a comic. Whatever you need to do. Um, obviously, we're in lockdown right now here in sunny Manchester, England. They're operating online at travellingman.com where you can go to pick up all manner of nerdery. Still trying to make nerdery happen. Yeah, working with it. Hashtag make nerdery happen. Um, so, yeah, um, a lot of love for Travelling Man. Get, go hit them up. They'll, uh, if you like the sound of Heathen, go get it from there. Yeah, because they probably still got it, providing I didn't buy the only one. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's four shops. Move around. Look <laughs> look more. Try harder. Um, so, Heathen, then. 
So Heathen is by Natasha Alterici and Rachel Deering. So Rachel Deering is the letterer and Natasha Alterici is the writer and artist. And I believe this was one of your picks for Manchester Comic Book Club. Why, Will? I remember when it came out in the, was it part of the first wave of Vault? Yeah, this is the first Vault book I was aware of, I think. And I think I was just really, I was, and still am really, excited by the prospect of this out-of-nowhere publisher that just had these, like, five or six books ready to go, another sort of raft planned. All of their books were really in my wheelhouse as well. It's all that fancy sci-fi, occasional horror, which is not normally my kind of jam, but I think... uh, all of their stuff just looks good. It looks at a really high quality. Uh, a bit like when we've talked about TKO in the past, they got a mix of kind of um, well-known names and a few people who were uh, um, not known, at least to me. Uh, but Heathen just stood out as one of those books in that first wave that just really caught my eye. And I thought this looks, uh, this looks absolutely top. Yeah, I, I agree. I distinctly remember when I worked at the aforementioned Travelling Man that there was a couple of customers, one of which was Angela, mm-hmm. <laughs> who were getting heathen. Yeah. Who who were who were picking up heathen and we never seemed to get it like enough of it. And it always looked super cool, but I never got to read Heathen. So yeah. I, I'm glad that I finally got around to it. So good call. Good call. Excellent. I think uh, it's worth noting, as you did in the uh, Manchester Comic Club, that Rachel Deering is the first letterer who gets equal like namespace on the front of a book as the uh, as the writer artist. So fair play. Yeah, it's it's kind of cool, isn't it? Because it's normally like here's the writer and here's the artist, and everyone else involved gets their name in tiny letters at the bottom of the cover if they're lucky. Mm-hmm. They're unlucky. But, they don't uh, even make the cover. No, but Rachel Deering gets it there, right on the front. Which, that's kind of nice. It's good for her. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad people get credit for things. It's it's good, isn't it, when people actually get credit for the work that they do. It's good <laughs> stuff, yeah. Do you want a, uh, a little quick synopsis? Hey, if you've got one, by all okay. means. So, what I... Uh, you'll have to fill in some of the gaps that I've missed, but... Uh, it's the story of uh, Adis. Yes. Are we, are we agreed? Adis, yeah, I think, I think Adis. Adis is the way I'm going. Uh, a, a, a Viking, sort of, a female Viking warrior who uh, has been cast out of her uh, tribe, I guess, by having a kiss with another woman. Uh, Liv. Liv. Her father was then ordered to either marry her off or execute her and instead of killing her took her out to the woods set her off on her way and now Adis's mission is to free Brynhild uh, the ex-leader of the Valkyries from a curse set on her by Odin uh, basically in order to prove that uh, women are as capable as any man within this particular kind of society and then along the way, some other gods start to get involved. As Viking stories often. <laughs> They're always nosy, the old uh, Norse pantheon. 
just just love getting involved in the goings on of humans, don't they? That's, they do. That's always the shtick. <laughs> um, don't get me wrong, I'm okay with that. We actually, I think the first god we get is Riordan. 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 Who, I actually don't know, which that was nice. Surprise gods are nice. It was nice. I mean, we do, obviously, we get name checked with Odin. Uh, Yeah. We see Freya later on. Um, But I did like that there were some kind of lesser popularized bits of North mythology in there. Like Skull and Hearty, the uh, the two wolves that eat the sun and the moon at Ragnarok, um, were were excellent. Uh, but I like that it touches on some of those, I guess, slightly lesser known bits that Marvel has told people about. <laughs> I I I do feel like, no offense to them, but Marvel have really hammered Thor and Loki. Uh, I've just realised what I did there, uh, like to death. It's like they, they really hammered the fact home that this is Norse mythology and this is what you get. And it's all Thor all the time. Yeah. 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 Then they're the most important elements of it. Um, but I think like the Greek pantheon, I think it's a pretty rich um, kind of tapestry of, of characters and stories. And it's nice to see somebody tackling a, a, a different angle of it. I think. Yeah. And in some ways a more grounded kind of, version i guess it sits in that odd place that sometimes this kind of uh, indie comic does where it neither fully accepts that it's a kind of fantasy story despite the fact that there are literal gods and curses yeah. and magic and yet also refuses to say that it's like a a, a complete reality sort of fictional historical telling of what the life would be like as for a norse woman <laughs> yeah it's, rides that line without ever really committing to either one fully. And I think in this case it really works because I, it, it makes it easy to accept that these gods walk the earth because the people are equally just like, oh shit, there's a god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting blending of the two, like, everyday Norse with the mythological Norse, I guess, which... Isn't something we see. I mean, okay, there are examples like early on in Jason Aaron's like God of Thunder run on Thor, we kind of see that, you know, past Earth bits of Thor before he's worthy, which have got more of the, hey, he's a god, but he's slumming it with the Earthlings. Yeah. Um, But I feel like this feels more natural it doesn't feel like someone trying to do a superhero book in the past this feels like somebody just trying to create a world where magic was still alive and well on earth and the gods weren't that far away i think forever the problem is that in something like the uh marvel stories if you write a history of thor now you're writing it after an already like 70 years history so anything you do now will be retcon. Yeah. No matter what, because everything you do that's before now, like we've seen a good chunk of it. So I I guess what my one of my thick problems with things is any time Marvel or DC have kind of got their claws into 
very public domain concepts like Norse mythology or, or Greek mythology for that matter, and have kind of gone, this is ours now. We're, uh, we tell the stories about Norse mythology, guys. I, I, I always feel like it's, it's kind of paints this picture of the comics world that if you're going to do Norse mythology, it's in the frame of a modern superhero, which... Mm-hmm. Do you know, I am very Weird. interested in reading that I've never uh, never got round to, but was uh, Walt Simonson's, is it just called Norse Mythology? And I think so. With IDW, I think. And just this idea of the, the person who is considered one of the two like greatest Thor scribes. Yeah. Just, I would have said between him and Aaron, probably. Yeah, I think, I think they're pretty... Um, has gone off and done his own like set of stories uh, intrigues me. I think it might be called Ragnarok. I think it's Walt it's Simonson's Ragnarok. Ragnarok. So uh, we're still obviously going to get plenty of Thor and Odin and whatnot, but it, that, that's interesting to see what he's done outside of the constraints after what he did within the constraints, which arguably is some of the better you know Thor stuff ever yeah. written. That is my criticism, is that unfortunately I think Marvel have staked their claim to Norse mythology. And it's nice to see someone break away and do something. And obviously we've seen other people do Norse mythology books, Walt Simonson being an example. Uh, Neil Gaiman's book is being adapted to comics at the moment. And um, other such examples. Is th- oh, there's something at the moment that's like... A quarterly being done by the artist who did Powers. I can't think what it was called. I feel like it. Um, I I want to say it was like Ragnarok Quarterly, but it's not. It's (laughs) that that would be an absurd name, wouldn't it? But I guess the point the point being there, I think this takes a both fresh and kind of authentic look at Norse mythology and kind of livelihood of the the people who lived there um of all of the characters i mean it's a pretty it's a pretty 50 50 split between those that are uh genuinely like mythological and those that are just people mm. and you get it you get to see this world through both of their eyes i think yeah and i think we we walk that fine line so when we find um spoiler brunhild um, <laughs> We, we kind of hear the backstory that she has been saved previously and she's kind of doomed that whenever whoever saves her, she marries. And once they die, she goes back to being imprisoned. And most recently, 300 years ago, she was saved by uh, Sigurd. Sigurd? Sigurd? Yes, Sigurd, I think, yeah. Sigurd. Who, after saving her, was then duped into being made immortal which Mm -hmm. means they couldn't be together and she was imprisoned again um and it's kind of interesting because it's that kind of meeting ground immediately of human with god 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 powers but human problems yeah yeah that's that's a good way of putting it which it's interesting and it shows the kind of spectrum of characters you can have whilst using the supernatural and gods and Mm -hmm. speaks a lot of relationships i think and we kind of get a quite broad spectrum of sexuality and 
representation amongst the characters we get here, which is nice. It's yeah, I think that's it's inclusive of part of the story. I think without it ever becoming sort of obnoxious as a storytelling tool. I don't think there's any time that I feel uh, Natasha Alterici is kind of battering you over the head. I think she delivers the message uh, really well in a way that is a connective tissue to an otherwise like entertaining story. Yes. But still has that depth to kind of have a, a, a message. Um, but uh, I've just read some things sometimes where I think the message has taken precedent over the story. And at the end of it, you can think, well, I know what you were going for, but damn, it was boring. <laughs> it sucked to get there. And uh, I think Heathen really, I think it rides that line so far. Yeah, I think it's nice to see a message told organically in a story rather than feeling like the story is a vehicle for just the message. It's Absolutely, yeah. It's nice that it's kind of mutual meeting ground between the two and i also i've said meeting ground about a thousand times in this episode already i think just got to look up a thesaurus and edit in some different words <laughs> not gonna happen well um, <laughs> but equally whilst i think it's quite well written and the structure of the characters we get is really nicely put together and it's an interesting cast of characters i think uh natasha alterici's art is like Real, real good. I don't know. <laughs> don't know what your stance is on real, real good art, but yeah, no, I, I think it, it, um, it's both art that suits its subject matter, obviously, because she has both written and drawn. <laughs> that, yeah, she's she's got a pretty good hold on what she was going for, I think. But for somebody whose work I am admittedly not very knowledgeable about, um, yeah, I thought her art was was awesome. Like from the actual kind of character depiction. Sometimes you get close-up faces, and they're they're often quite angular and detailed. Mm. Uh, to sometimes being quite caricature, where you might see background faces that just have a big O for a mouth and big eyes when something shocking has happened. Yeah, it, it kind of borders between like European comic feels and then like um, manga feels for some of the background detail. A little bit, and it, it gives it a kind of levity as well that. Uh, it just makes it a much more nicer like uh, reading experience. Something that did come up uh, in the the meeting, yes, uh, was that the art does seem to kind of change between the first two and the latter two issues. Yeah, and we we had kind of had varying opinions on if it was an intentional move or if it was a natural improvement of art as. Well, that's the question of improvement as well, because I think uh, me and I think perhaps Matt as well were in agreement that the I I think the first two issues are better. I think there's more detail, and although the art is scratchier, and I think the the line work gets tighter later on, Mm. I think the art in the first two issues is more expressive and, and a bit more creative. My theory then being is that I think as the series maybe got more popular and time restraints came in, I think she probably had to simplify the Yeah, and I think backgrounds kind of get more vague 
as yeah i think she relies a lot on the on the coloring um which a lot of it has that i'm not sure if it is genuine watercolors or if it's a computer effect who knows but it's definitely got that kind of style into it of a pastely watercolory thing in my bob (laughs) yeah no it's definitely got a kind of watercolor ink drawing kind of vibe which i am very into and yeah it's it's interesting I, i would kind of like to know if it's digital or if it is hand drawn with ink um but uh, one of our other uh, comic book club members, a uh, new member, Alex, had the the, the theory that um, the art gets more uh, kind of tight, the line work gets more specific whenever we're in the presence of gods. Yeah. Which... And then it's rougher when they're not around. Which could very well be true. And... It's a nice theory. I'm not. I'm not entirely convinced yet. I'd have to read more. But um, if it is a, a an active choice, then that's pretty cool. Yeah, and it, maybe it is, and maybe it isn't. And th- there are a lot of reasons that your art can kind of change between issues, I guess. Um, yeah. But I, e- even though, even even though it does change from being kind of scratchier ink drawing at the start to more smooth and streamed streamlined with less detail in the backgrounds i do think throughout it is good artwork and it is art that i like a lot i think characters characters are just really well done from like i think almost any criticism is going to be like nitpicking uh yeah and i'm just going to say it um skull and hearty hearty yeah just two damn good-looking wolves, right? And I, to be honest, between that and Saga the Talking Horse, like you, you've got me hands down there. Yeah, they've they've got some of my favourite moments in this book, quite quite comfortably. And I, I think uh, I could have almost taken a book that was just talking Norse mythology animals. If... Yeah, as they argue over which one's going to eat the sun, which one's going to eat the moon, because <laughs> the moon tastes horrible and the sun's really delicious. It's just, um, <laughs> it's good stuff. And I, so throughout the book, we kind of see, obviously, the initial kind of saving of Brynhild and then Odin as this ominous lurking threat that we don't actually see in person. We see Freya as kind of... Freya's interesting because she's kind of the bad guy for a bit, but also not entirely bad, I guess. Yeah, I think it's that that element that we're seeing the story from kind of Adis's point of view, and her point of view is probably quite tiny compared to that of the gods. You know, her ideal of good and bad, and what we see as good and bad is probably quite transient for... I mean, they, they even talk about, don't they, this idea of cycles and that it all just happens over and over again. Yeah. But Adis represents a kind of a, a slight change in the in the cycle, and that's why they're all so interested in, in checking out what she's doing. Um, but yeah, I think Freya is played off as a bit of a bad guy. She has taken over as head of the Valkyries from Brynhild since she's been in her uh, incarceration. Mm. But yeah, as you get to know a bit more about Freya, I think her position is much more complicated than just being the bad. 
Um, yeah. And as you said, you, sorry, go on. <laughs> you don't actually get to see Odin uh, yet in this book. But I've got the feeling on the way that Natasha Alterici has written her other characters is that Odin, I think, will be equally as complicated. I don't think he's going to just play off as a one-eyed dickhead. <laughs> yeah, I think... <laughs> Sorry, I can't get past one-eyed dickhead. Um, <laughs> I, I think there's going to be a lot more depth to Odin than perhaps we're expecting. And that that's I think that's only ever going to be a good thing. I think giving extra depth to gods yeah it makes quite a lot of sense actually i think i think it's infinitely more interesting when you have a antagonist who is at least some way like sympathetic yeah very much so i think it's it's difficult to have a villain that is pure bad and kind of have an objective view of them i think you need that like nuance mm-hmm. that's, that's the word i'm going with yeah, but I think that's that's true in 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 the wider comics as well. Like Lex Luthor is an interesting character because his stance isn't always just "I'm evil." It's it's normally like this fear of what Superman represents for humanity, and it gives him a depth that I don't know. Someone like the Red Skull just doesn't. He's just a Nazi, isn't he? And he's always <laughs> just a Nazi, and sometimes he's a Nazi with cosmic powers, but. There's no sympathy for the Red Skull. And for me, that makes him a pretty dry bad guy. Yeah, Red Red Skull isn't the most um deep at times. I think no, I think the Kite Man. There's a Ki- villain. Kite Man, there's a villain with layers. Hell yeah. <laughs> I um have you seen the Harley Quinn we're so off topic. Have you seen the Harley Quinn uh, animated series? I have not, no. Kite Man's there and it's good. That's, oh, all, good. Gonna, that's, all, <laughs> that's all I need. I'm buying it now. Um, it's it's real good, real real good. Um, <laughs> but I I enjoyed Heathen a lot, and I am kind of looking forward to seeing where the series can go. I think it's only twelve issues, three volumes, so I'm kind of looking forward to what we're gonna see. And I think we've had some great, you know, badassery from Adis. Some. Yeah interesting tortured love stories between Sigurd and Brunhild Brynhild and I think there's just a lot to kind of sink your teeth into and want more of I almost feel like volume one could afford to be longer but although I do think it's a, a pretty solid cliffhanger I think it leaves it at a really good place to to keep you excited for volume two. I think if I were to criticise the book in terms of its kind of plotting, it does feel like this book is a lot of setup. Yeah, um, it's it's very establishing. Yeah, and I think although there are payoffs within the story itself, it, it, I don't think it's not yet made it clear really what the real thrust of the story is. Yeah, you know, when, you, when you start the story, the the mission seems to be save Brynhild. Well, again, spoiler alert, that happens. That's only issue one. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then you think, well, I don't really know what what the main direction of this is going to be yet. Um, as it happens, the writing and the art and the characters, again, like Skull and Hattie, get a kind of introductory moment, and then you think, oh, we we need to see them again. 
later. There's got to be a point where they where these guys pop back up. Um, the, the there's point. enough there for me to be excited for more, but I, I do think like it doesn't quite give enough. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of world building. We kind of see the um, the Norse mythology and the Norse gods kind of being chased off almost a little bit by the input of Christianity in the southern. That's a nice touch as well. Uh, getting a bit of real history in there. Yeah, and the I think the explanation when she adds the horns to the helmet because that's how they're being described as these kind of demons. Yeah. So, that's how the Christians are depicting them as heathens and demons is like, that's, that's a nice touch. And yeah, and she's decided to lean into it. Yeah. I mean, by all means, if you're being described as demons anyway, run with it. <laughs> um, but yeah, in a kind of interesting world building narrative, I think there's some really cool ideas. The idea of the cycles, the idea of, um, how the gods interact with humans, the idea of how humans interact with humans. We see the witch in issue three, who's kind of being ran out of town by the, well, plans to be in, but ran out of town slash we're going to burn her at the stake by everyone else in the town. Um, who's then saved by Brynhild. I think we see like a great deal of information quite quickly about the world we're in. Yeah, that gives you a, a good picture of what your general populace's like viewpoints are. But again, that it's a situation that is solved with a, a kind of compassion and understanding for the most part. And again, refreshing to see as where you could you could tell this kind of tale in a Marvel book, but ultimately somebody's going to get hit with a hammer, <laughs> and that's going to resolve the resolve the plot. As where this was a more uh, emotional engagement, mm. I think, than, than one of action. But it plays off really well and it reads really well and it's it's equally as entertaining as a bit of Biff, Bam and Wallop. Biff, Bam and Wallop. Yeah, that's my spin-off podcast. <laughs> I know how that works out for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I I agree with you. I think this year I'm probably going to read volumes two and three of Heathen, I think, quite comfortably. Oh, yeah. I, I want I don't to see how it turns out. Yeah, I'm not going to sleep on this very long. I will I will uh, get these. And I think, again, as we were saying earlier, the fact that we know it is 12 issues and that it's finished makes me so much more ready to invest in it than something of just like, it's indefinitely long and, Christ, it might never actually come to fruition. Just knowing three volumes... I can do that. Yeah, and I am interested to see what else Natasha Alterici is going to do. I've, in kind of the preparations of book club, I checked out a series that's only two issues um, on comicsology, which is called Illustrated Girl, that she did the art for. Um, I, I'm not going to go into the full pitch for it, but I think the art is very scratchy, ink drawing, and not as refined as even it the art is in heathen um, she didn't write it so it's just it's her art but not her writing and i know i've read her contribution to gotham academy uh-huh, yeah. from a few years ago i think she did one of the yearbook like one shot type thingies um you're, you're welcome yeah <laughs> um but i i think she is 
an interesting writer and artist that I do want to see more of in the future. And I'm kind of curious where she's going to pop up. I'd like to see if she's got, you know, another vault title planned or. I think it's impressive that she's managed to carve out uh, her own quite unique story in a world that has been so like heavily done in comics. Um, Mm. And you're right. Like it's, of that caliber that I am, I'm just interested to see what she does now. Like I'm, I'd happily follow yeah. uh, Natasha Altarici around wherever she chooses to kind of publish her next book and yeah, see what's what. Yeah, um, I completely agree. I say it might be nice if it'd be nice if she could go somewhere and, and produce one of these one, one volume books. I'd be interested to see what she can do in six issues or. Yeah. And I know she's done, um, so she did a series called The Wilds with Vita Ayalia at uh, Black Mask. But So she did the art, but not the writing. And I, I guess after this, I'm interested to see what she can do as a writer and artist rather yeah. than just just one. <laughs> It'd be interesting to see what she, what she does as just a writer as well as somebody else yeah. comes in as an artist and seeing how she copes with that you know how her stories work when it's not her uh accompanying art yeah that is that is a good point it's hmm, so, something i think that we'll have to keep an eye out for on both sides for the future i mean yeah. i saw um a podcast favorite lifefield oh yeah uh he made some spurious comment about uh like all of the best comic writers were all like in the past so the best comic writers only existed really between the 60s and the 80s and that's proven by the fact that we constantly hark back to these old stories <laughs> i just think you've just not been reading the right books because there are a huge spate including the white noise guys and your brain cave and numerous other people who are just churning out excellent top tier comics i am um... I'm not going to go into the full thing, but there are various rants available from me in previous podcasts about how I, I think people only hark back to the 60s, 70s and 80s in comics because 100% of people trying to get someone else into comics completely ignore modern comics. And if you ask someone, hey, I want to get into comics, what should I read? people go oh you should read the dark knight returns and watchmen and you absolutely should not <laughs> that should be your first port call it, it's it's always bugged me because i've had friends who like were quite happily getting into dc through like bombshells or mm-hmm. batwoman and get recommended stuff like oh if you want to get into dc you should read watchmen and it's like no, that's like saying, you know, if you want to get into boxing, you should watch Rocky. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, Rocky's great and it, it tells you a little bit about boxing, but ultimately it's got nothing to do with the sport, much like Watchmen doesn't tell you anything about DC Comics. No, no. And yeah, um, I think we get a lot of that, don't we, about these certain uh, sacred cows that that can't be touched. I think a big part of it for myself is that the most interesting story of almost any superhero is the origin story, right? How they came to be sort of what they are Mm. or 
their kind of big main villain fight. Yeah. And everything in between that is just sort of superfluous. Like, so of course we hark back to the sixties and seventies. That's when most of these characters were created. <laughs> that's their origin. Um, I think that's shown in how like popular ultimate Spider-Man was. And yeah, all, all people wanted was to be retold all of Spider-Man, but without exactly- having to read stuff that's got that painful dialogue that's also in a narration box that's also in a thought bubble that you can also see in the artwork people just wanted the streamlined version of peter parker exactly that and i think that just goes to sort of show that the origin will always be the most kind of harked uh wanted bit (laughs) yeah Um, so yeah telling somebody his issue 627 of amazing spider-man is not gonna it doesn't help people and not I, endear them. But I I've argued this at length before. I'll uh, I'll forward you the files if you really want them. Um I do believe the best comics ever have been written in the last twenty years. Yeah. It's a bold statement. Uh, and, but but equally, I I think it's it's a constant knock on effect. I think if you look back in twenty years' time, the yeah. further you get away from nineteen sixty three, yeah, <laughs> as, as yeah. an example, yeah, the, the 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 safer the distance you have, the the freedom you have to not cite the first comics as the best comics. Like, mm-hmm. okay, uh, I I know a lot of people love a lot of nineties books but there's a lot of bad comics in the 90s. It's the same with any any medium, I guess. But I think I'm always cautious about calling anything, like, the best. Yeah, and, and because, don't get me wrong, I, I know I'm, I'm being over the top with the best comics from the last 20 years. But, yeah. but I mean, if they're the best to you, then that that's absolutely valid. But, you know, like, I respect yours, Matt's, and uh, Angela's opinions on comics, but we don't see eye to eye on everything. Um, yeah. And, and you know, what actually represents the best is, is ultimately just an opinion. Uh, yeah, of course. I think, I guess part of it is when you get into comics as a reader and what you decide to start with is always going to reflect on how you feel about comics. I know that when I found myself getting seriously into, like, superhero books, I really liked the weirdos and the underutilised. I... I I loved Booster Gold and Blue Booster Beetle. Booster Gold and Blue and, Beetle, they're your boys. And, and <laughs> stuff like Steel and this just characters that don't get the screen time. And I remember the first time I found out Ambush Bug existed. And it's just like, man, the, the fact that you can make Ambush Bug, who is, a, you know, man who's out of his damn mind with a super powered costume from space that's just a fancy dress costume and he is uh just concepts like that that as a teenager i was like well this i did not know this is what comics could be and (laughs) and the fact that i know people who are then like oh have you been reading superman it's like no man but have you read any blue beetle recently it's I, i think it's it's warped my view and i can't look back at like super dark 90s and 80s batman and, and care because i'm like yeah but what was what was booster gold doing in like 1989 i bet it was awesome <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> yeah that's it they exist 
<laughs> but I think there are also different there are different tolerances for people as well. Like it's it's hard to go back to the sixties, seventies, and eighties, and probably a lot of the nineties without seeing uh, types of art or story beats which are just distasteful now. Yeah, I, I think there are there are things that have aged horribly and like fantastic four between 1963 and about probably about 1983 it was one of the most like hands down sexist books that you've ever read like sue storm is treated like absolute dirt throughout a good good 20 year chunk of fantastic four and she still is in the films so that's <laughs> a tradition that's alive and well despite clearly being the best of the four Never mind they. So yeah, I think I just think what you consider best, uh, or what you want to get from comics, is a real wide plane. And uh, for me, I'm I'm with you. I think modern comics are doing more for my taste and what I want than yeah. than, than anything beforehand. Not anything, but you know what I mean. Than a lot from before. Than a lot, yeah. Um. So I think that's a nice enough place for us to wrap this one up. Don't, don't, know, what, don't know what your stance is on that. So, um, Will, thank you for joining me. And um, people out there in the ether, thank you for listening. We've been Bigger Than Capes. And uh, remember that comics is bigger than capes. Bigger than capes. <laughs> yeah. I always forget. Bigger Than Capes. Give me some outside. I was looking forward to it, and then I watched it. Oh, 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 oh